0: Tonight, we apply our patent-pending Stanley rubric to Top Gun, the one you've been waiting for, from 1986, directed by Tony Scott, written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., starring Tom Cruise, Anthony Edwards, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, and Tom Skerritt. However, quickly before we get to the show, next week we will be revisiting one of the great Alfred Hitchcock classics, North by Northwest, from 1959, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Ernest Lehman, starring Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, James Mason, and Martin Landau. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com to sign up for our newsletter, or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at Podcast. And, as always, please like, Follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use. We would really appreciate it. With that, we welcome back our now six-time returning guest, the most of any particular guest in the history of the show, my mother, Chris Duncan. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: Excellent. Ready for some Top Gun conversation?
1: Yes, since we've been discussing it for the last several weeks.
0: <laughs> Who's we? We.
1: Well, your dad and I. I see. We had a heated debate this morning. A heated debate. Yes. Hmm. And last night during the movie, I had to put up with all of his grunts and eye rolls. (laughs) I made one comment. (laughs) So I have a
0: feeling that this is going to be like mama and papa and little bear type of situation. (laughs) That you're pro Top Gun. Dad's very anti Top Gun. And I fall somewhere in the middle. Okay, I'm not saying I'm anti-Top Gun.
2: I did find some redeeming points to the movie the second time I watched it. But I'm going to quote Roger Ebert at one point, and that sums up so much my feelings about this movie.
1: As long as he doesn't steal my thunder, because during the conversation this morning we were discussing this, and if he takes any of my points, I'm not going to have anything to say.
0: I find that hard to believe. You've never lacked for anything to say, ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's turn our attention then to *Tap Gun. Dad, I know you don't have much of a relationship with this movie other than, uh, what was it, the 80s? You just didn't want to be pro-Reagan?
2: Correct. Well, and, and I just thought we were way over-jinguistic. Because we had come off of the Vietnam War and we were so negative about ourselves and, and Watergate. We just thought it was great. Thump our chests and pump up about everything. And I just got tired of it. And this was just the third in the line of Rocky Four, Rambo Two, and now
0: Top Gun. I'm sorry. This is also the same year that Platoon won Best Picture.
1: The 80s were full of different types of military or war movies. And I just think that this gave us a different perspective on Navy and air flight. Most people didn't get an eyeball view of that kind of thing. So this was new and enlightening, I think, to actually feel like you were maybe in the cockpit and going through the same sweat that the remainder of the, the flight crews were. And the danger of everything And that portion of the film is real good. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that I need to feel some of that danger to know that you're human and that those pilots are human and that they're people that die.
0: So, Mom, what's your relationship to the danger zone?
1: I watched this movie in college. It was, um, I think, during the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. As growing up, I didn't watch a ton of movies so this was a good experience for me with one of my friends. And I, I, I think going to the big theater and seeing this for the first time, I think the, you know, the graphics and all that stuff kind of just envelops you. It was something new and different for me at the time. And, of course, Tom Cruise was a big heartthrob. So um, to go and watch him up close and personal in this kind of film was great. It was his first big role that I saw.
0: Yes, Tom Cruise and his tidy whiteys had to be one of the scenes of the '80s. Well, the the
2: whole beach volleyball, so you could have him and Val Kilmer without shirts. Yes,
1: of course, it's the drool and, factor. Uh,
2: literally oiled up. <laughs> yes. You know, and I mean, this, this was the summer of '86 between my college or between college and law school for me, and that summer I was working delivering pizzas, and then. I also, when I wasn't delivering pizzas, was selling uh, newspaper subscriptions door-to-door, trying to earn as much money as I could. So this was not a film that I had any interest in, and nor would I have had a whole lot of time to watch anything.
0: Well, let's just say that doing the original movie, this is going to be one of two this year that you're just really going to have to grit your teeth through, because Avatar's coming. (sighs) Oh. My relationship to this one is not particularly interesting. I think I watched it maybe 10 years ago because it was a really known film. And it's one of those that people will give you shit until you've at least seen it. Because it's like one of those, how can you have not seen Top Gun? Kind of a cult classic, right? No, no, (laughs) just the opposite. Everybody fucking saw this movie. It is anything but cult. Cult usually implies something like there's a small group following, but they're really intense about getting other people to see it. This is not that. This is anything but. This was like the number one film in 1986 and one of the highest grossing home box office. And I don't mean HBO, but home theater type movies.
1: Okay. And to that point, so this week we were discussing this at work and um, discussing it with some other people outside of the office that we were going to be doing this and how much Dana hated this movie and how much I enjoyed it. And everyone who I talked to said, what is wrong with Dana? I mean, everybody loves this movie.
0: No, no, no. This has always been an audience movie. We're going to get to that. The critics have pan this movie for years, but... Really, this has always been an audience appreciation movie, and it's a certain nostalgia factor, especially with the sequel coming out in a couple of weeks that we're tying this movie or this review into.
1: Yes, and and it's already out, and I've read some of the critic reviews of the new film, and I can't wait to see it. But I told your dad I'm not watching it with him. I'm not going to let him do eye rolls and grunts during the entire film. I will go with somebody else who appreciates this movie.
0: I'll say, having rewatched the film now, I am very curious for the sequel, especially because I like Christopher McQuarrie, who did the, I think the screenplay and the direction for the sequel. He uh, also did like the last two Mission Impossible movies, and he and Tom Cruise seem to have a good collaboration together. But it's also got other people like John Hamm in it, right? So, you know, I'll take it
2: if if Tom Cruise plays more of the role of Tom Skerritt in the original and they expand the role of the, the commander of the top gun school that will be so much better of a film.
0: From the summary that I've gotten, basically Tom Cruise is trying to deny himself a promotion because it will take him out of the aircraft. Okay. So he's once again, trying to not grow up, or not take on further responsibility because it'll take away from the thing that he loves most.
1: Well, and in everything that I've read, Val Kilmer makes a, a one scene appearance, and that is the pivotal and the best scene of the movie is the role that Val Kilmer plays. So I'm really anxious to see that too. He's been away from film, I think, for a while because due to his health. And I want I want to see this scene. So
0: well, he was also like lieutenant governor of New Mexico, wasn't he? I believe so, but I, I, I tried to find something
2: about that, and I couldn't see if I could if he actually was. I, if that was what I had
0: been told, and
1: but he has throat cancer. Eh,
0: it doesn't matter. Anyway, what is this movie about then? Who should go first? Because I have the snarky vision er, version. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I suppose we'll give mom the uh, first crack at it.
1: Well, I think the movie is about a, a man trying to find his way. I think it's a love and loss. He lost his best friend and the person he considered his only family. And picking yourself up by your bootstraps and really making something with your talent. So for me, that's that's the movie.
0: You forgot to say spoiler alert for a nearly 40-year-old movie.
1: (laughs) I think (laughs) everybody has seen this movie, and anybody who's going to listen to this podcast has seen this movie. We all know what happens, so I don't think I'm spoiling it for anyone.
0: Mom, not everybody knows Goose (laughs) dies.
1: Okay, Dad, roll
0: it. Let's give you the snarky version. How cool Jet Flight
2: is, even with a mediocre story constructed around it.
0: That's... <sighs> <laughs> All right, we're just going to move past him because he just wants to be a troll.
1: I know he does.
0: I had Renegade Pilot tries to take on the system to prove he's one of the best. Well, I guess that's a good, that's a good synopsis. I mean, really, at the crux of this, everything is about him... Becoming the elite. It's the top Navy pilot school. He's trying to compete for the number one spot in his class, and it's a matter of whether his confidence is shaken or not.
1: And he doesn't make it. I mean, this is a feel good story, but he doesn't become the top of his class. And yet he still succeeds.
0: He doesn't get the trophy, but he certainly saves the day in the end, and you could argue ends up being the best pilot. I mean, he single handedly takes down four MiGs in the final sequence.
1: Exactly. Oops, more spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that.
0: All right, Dad, do you have a non huge spoiler, non snarky plot summary ready for us?
2: I do. Naval aviator Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, Tom Cruise, after a brush with a MiG 28 is sent to the Navy's Top Gun School with his R.I.O., Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Goose Bradshaw. While at Top Gun, Maverick becomes involved with Charlotte Charlie Blackwood, Kelly McGillis, a civilian instructor at the school, when she learns of his infamous reputation. Setting out to prove he's the best, Maverick finds a fierce rival in Tom Iceman Kazansky, Val Kilmer, for the right to the Top Gun trophy awarded to the top finisher in Top Gun schooling. However, after a heartbreaking loss, Maverick suddenly loses his confidence and must find a way to fight through to prove to everyone who is truly the best.
0: Thank you. Cast for this movie, Tony Scott as director, Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. as writers, Tom Cruise as Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, Kelly McGillis as Charlotte Charlie Blackwood, Val Kilmer as Lieutenant Tom Iceman Kazansky, Anthony Edwards as Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Goose Bradshaw, Tom Skerritt as Commander Mike Viper Metcalf, Michael Ironside, one of the best names ever in Hollywood, as Lieutenant Commander Rick Jester Heatherly, John Stockwell as Lieutenant Bill Cougar Cortell, Barry Tubb as Lieutenant Junior Grade Henry Wolfman Ruth, Rick Rasevich as Lieutenant Junior Grade Ron Slider Kerner, Tim Robbins as Lieutenant Junior Grade Sam Merlin Wells, and Meg Ryan as Carol Bradshaw Goose's wife. Recognition for this movie, Top Gun opened on May 16th, 1986. The film quickly became a success and was the highest grossing film of 1986. It was number one, on its first weekend with a gross of 8 million dollars and went on to a total domestic gross of 176 million dollars internationally it took in an estimated 177 million for a worldwide box office receipt of 353 million dollars in addition to its box office success top gun went on to break further records in the then still developing home video market it was the first new release blockbuster on video cassette to be priced as low as 2695 and backed by a massive $8 million marketing campaign, including a Top Gun-themed Diet Pepsi commercial, the advanced demand was such that the film became the best-selling video cassette in the industry's history on pre-orders alone, with over 1.9 million units ordered before its launch on March 10, 1987. It eventually sold a record 2.9 million units. Top Gun holds a 57% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 50% on Metacritic. The film was nominated for four Oscars including Best Sound, Film Editing, Sound Effects Editing, and it won for Original Song for Take My Breath Away by Berlin. In 2008, the film was ranked at number 455 in Empire's list of the 500 Greatest Films of All Time. Yahoo! Movies ranked... Top Gun, number 19 on their list of greatest action films of all time. It was also ranked number 94 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie quotes for I Feel the Need, the Need for Speed. In 2015, the United States Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry. Did you know? The real Top Gun school imposes a $5 fine to any staff member that quotes the film. <laughs> Uh, Did you know? Stunt pilot Art Scholl was killed during the production of the movie, aged 54. He died when his Pitts S2 camera plane failed to recover from a flat spin and plunged into the Pacific Ocean. Scholl's last words of the radio were, I have a problem, I have a real problem. The exact cause of the crash was never determined, and neither the aircraft nor Scholl's body were ever recovered. The film is dedicated to him. Did you know? Val Kilmer did not want to be in this film, but was forced to by contractual obligations. However, it became one of his most iconic roles in his career. Did you know? Charlie's older man date at the Officers Club is the real-life Viper, Pete Pettigrew. He is a retired Navy pilot and Top Gun instructor and shot down a MiG during the Vietnam War. He served as the technical consultant on the film. Did you know? The Pentagon charged... Paramount Pictures, $1.8 million to use all of their planes and aircraft carriers for the film. Did you know? The character portrayed by Kelly McGillis is based on Christine Fox, a civilian flight instructor the producers met on a visit to Miramar while doing research to prepare for the film. Fox eventually rose through the ranks at the Pentagon, retiring in May 2014 as Acting Deputy Secretary of Defense, the highest post ever held by a woman at the Department of Defense. Did You Know? Tom Cruise had to wear lifts in his scenes with Kelly McGillis. He's listed as 5'7", while she is 5'10". Did You Know? Numerous critics complained that the movie largely amounted to a Navy recruitment film. The U.S. Navy stated that the film's popularity resulted in a 500% increase in the number of recruits wanting to enter into their aviation program. Paramount offered to include a Navy recruitment ad on the initial home video release in exchange for debits owned to the U.S. Navy for their cooperation. However, the ad agency who produced ads for the U.S. military informed the Pentagon that the movie itself was enough of a propaganda tool and that an official recruiting ad would be redundant. With that, we'll take our first break and we'll be right back. All right, let's go to best performance then. Mom, who did you have down?
1: I have Tom Cruise. As much as I may not um, think much of his himself personally, I think he's a terrific actor. And um, and I think he did a good job in this movie. So he was my best performer.
0: I'm going to get to him in a little bit. Dad, did you have him as best performer? I had Tom Skerritt every time. I mean,
2: Tom Skerritt was a guy that bounced around in Hollywood, never really had major star power. But every time you see him in a film, he just has some great ability to control the scenes. To me, Tom Skerritt was the consciousness of the movie, uh, or the conscious of, or consciousness of the movie. He bridged the gap between the requirements of the Navy, teamwork, and the brashness of Maverick. He just kind of was the actual like, father figure uh, of the film. And I just thought he did a really nice job overall. Every time I've seen him in a film, I think he's done a good job. And by the way, he's still around. He's like 90. I know that he made a comment about the uh, film and the upcoming sequel on uh,
0: Twitter. I felt he was a very good and stern but supportive fatherly figure to the movie, which seemed like what was necessary, especially with shoehorning that weird father backstory that you kind of get to as to why Tom Cruise is motivated to be a part of the Top Gun program, but doesn't seem to ever really fit anything that's going on. It's just kind of there. And they talk about it, but it's not as important to the story as something like A Few Good Men that we talked about a few weeks ago, where that father presence seemed actually more important to the story because the writing was better. I actually went with Tony Scott, though, he got good performances out of several young up and coming actors to the amount of work he had to do to setting up the flying shots and then stitch that all together with the push he even made to get this made in the first place with a number of actors being suggested for the role or turning it down or the amount of musicians that even turned down doing danger zone, which if you want a good rabbit hole, search that sometime. I think if there's anything in this movie you love, besides just Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise as a movie star It's something that was probably directly impacted by Tony Scott. So he got my best performance.
2: He was my best secondary performance. I thought he did a masterful job of stitching together the visuals with, I thought it was rather a mediocre script. I, I thought there were so many plot holes in it that I had a hard time with it, watching it again. But I think I appreciate the work he did in creating an iconic film based on that. There were some good acting performances. I think Tom Cruise was okay, was not one of his better ones. I thought Kelly McGillis was terrible, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I mean, she's, I think she's so overacted every scene she was in. And I think Val Kilmer, you know, you talk about him. There were too many scenes where it was just like Val Kilmer in there to make a, a important line and then kind of like smile. And I'm like, you could have done more with Val Kilmer. I think, you know, when you look at his the role and how he, how he played Doc Holliday in Tombstone, which I think is by far his greatest work, you could have done a lot more with him. But still, I think Tony Scott did a, a very admirable job in putting this film together.
0: I don't know. I think there's one scene where I thought Kilmer was really good, and it's the really strain scene where he's trying to console Maverick but doesn't really know how to find the words. But other than that, it was just him kind of looking good and being a hotshot pilot. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of substance behind that to me though, best secondary. I went in a kind of different way with this. I think if there's one thing outside of the camera shots, Tom Cruise, that you can really award something to it's probably the music. And while I know that (sighs) it had a couple of big pop songs in here,
1: Great way to steal my thunder.
0: (laughs) The best part of the movie, aside from the blockbuster visuals from the planes, is the music.
1: That melodious
0: synthesizer in the haze of those first few shots to that rising, triumphant guitar rift kind of seems like it defines 80s movies' music.
1: Not just 80s music or uh, movie music, but 80s music and the time period and its nostalgic. But yet that music shaped my generation. And I don't think. I'm not sure that there's another movie that had this many this many hits that are still played on on radio, whether it's, you know, Sirius XM and they're doing the, you know, the blend or whether it's 80s on eight or whatever. This this these songs come out all the time and it's sing along songs. Right. We know all of the words and the music is so popular that, I mean, you know, these songs. Right. I mean you to be fair Kenny of. Loggins
0: had at least three of these during the eighties that come up regularly all across Okay,
1: so he was really good at it. But there's other artists that are involved in here and of course that song by the Berlin, the Take Your Breath Take My Breath Away, I mean that is still played everywhere. Any slow song dance, any place.
0: But I'm also saying that there are plenty of 80s movies where there were major pop hit songs that came from them and ended up defining the culture at the time.
1: Okay, so maybe that's I'm what just I'm trying, trying to say. To equate, and you, and you say it better than I do because I'm I'm not well versed. I'm not a big public speaker, but you asked my opinion and, and that I was going to have... Uh, I was going to beat up Dad if, if he if he took over this because we talked about the soundtrack this morning and that was my my best secondary performance was the actual the music in here I think is phenomenal and the the cross between the old music you know you got that love and feeling by the Righteous Brothers and uh, Great Balls of Fire right and then you merge the new sound of the eighties I I just outside of uh, maybe Sleepless in Seattle. You know, where they use all of the all of the music from
2: Yes, the Righteous Brothers, it was part of that, but too. And if I would've known you were gonna beat me up, I would have said something
1: about the music. <laughs> you would have liked to see that, huh? <laughs> me and my big muscles.
0: <laughs> Guys, I don't need to know what goes on behind closed doors.
1: <laughs> It's
0: not what we're here for.
1: (laughs) Dad could just put up his hand and stop me.
0: (laughs) I I don't want to know.
1: It was more figurative than anything.
0: I've
2: actually put my hand on her forehead (laughs)
1: to stop her from (laughs) swinging. (laughs) Uh. Well,
0: a true side of my family you didn't think you'd get on audio. Let's go to most charismatic. I'm going to get this one out of the way. It's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's charisma carries half of this movie. His championship winning smile is the only thing that makes you interested if he ever hooks up with Charlie or wins the Top Gun trophy. You want to see him succeed. And even when he's down, you treat him like a kicked puppy because you're just as hurt with him that Goose died. I really don't think that's a question who's the most charismatic in this movie.
1: Dana, you have nothing to say.
0: If you'd like to go ahead, feel free.
1: Well, I think there is somebody else who actually has some played a very small role in the film, but I think her personality came out, and that's Meg Ryan. So if there was anybody else in this film that exudes any charisma, it's her. Just her bubbly personality, and I don't know. I just enjoyed her in this film, and I think she is, like I said, her bubbly self. I love that.
0: Going true to form. Just true to form. didn't you
1: bring me on for a second opinion? Because the two of you agreed on how bad this movie was to start with. I mean, this has been a running family joke.
0: This This isn't even really about Top Gun. It's just the fact that of her small, like, five lines in the movie, somehow Meg Ryan, who this is her first major film of any type, ends up being your most charismatic, probably on the back of how many other movies of hers you like.
1: Well, no, no, no. I have Tom Cruise, but if I'm going to offer something else, I think she is perfect for this film.
0: Dad, did you have Tim Robbins? (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) He had such a memorable role in this, I forgot he was in it. (laughs) I mean, first of all, Tim Robbins is like 6'2 or something like that. You don't, jet pilots do not go into those jets at 6'2 because... The cockpits are small, so so he would not be allowed as a pilot, nonetheless. Uh, no, I actually had Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise's career is primarily being Tom Cruise and
0: looking like Tom Cruise. Help me, Tom Cruise. All right. Let's go to best scene, then. Dad, did you even have a best scene?
2: <laughs> oh, I really, I
0: really had trouble. I... I uh,
2: I made a joke this morning that the best scene was the credits.
0: (laughs) Okay. Of course, I
1: wanted to lean across the table and slap (laughs) it.
0: Mom, this will be our entire category. Maverick saves Cougar. You've lost that love and feeling. Civilian Charlie, which is when she's first introduced as uh, being part of the naval school. Taking Maverick to school, which is where they're dissecting his earlier work against the MIG in the first scene. Goose goes, which at this point, I should have just said Goose dies, but I was trying to save people from spoilers. Viper reveals Duke Mitchell demise and crisis in the Indian Ocean. Did I miss any?
1: Yes, I had two others. I have where Tom Skerritt tells him, you know, he's going to go to flight school and if he doesn't find a new IRO or they don't assign him one, that I will fly with you. And the other was when Val Kilmer comes at the end and says, you can be my wingman anytime.
0: Well, I think that last piece is probably wrapped into that final scene, the crisis in the Indian ocean thing. I suppose if you wanted to section it off, sure, but all right, dad, did I miss any? No, not really. So dad, best scene.
2: The righteous brothers. Uh, song you know the pickup scene in the bar I thought that was fun well done
0: so that's why I picked it and mom would you uh, have liked to have been picked up that way
1: no but I mean well you know there is something to be said about that but I would have thought it was awfully corny
0: isn't that part of the charm of it
1: <laughs> I suppose so so best scene for you is the Great Balls of Fire where Anthony Edwards is um, at the piano? Oh, she goes
0: off the board.
1: Yeah, where the, off the piano, or he's playing the piano and um, and she's talking to Cat, or, or Meg Ryan is talking to the Charlie character and you know saying how much Tom Cruise is in love with her and she can see that and then you know she makes the whole quip about take me to bed now or lose me forever and I just love that whole thing with the whole f- the little boy sitting on top of the piano. I just think it's charming and that's my favorite scene of the movie.
0: All right. For me, I would probably go with, I think the civilian Charlie scene is actually a really good one where it's Tom Cruise kind of getting cocky and showing off. It's probably also my favorite scene in that, that it's that constant dialogue of him basically showing off that he had contacted the MIG and, oh, we're, what were you doing exactly? Communications. The bird, ma'am. You know, there's there's a huge interplay between that scene, but it's kind of giving you that inkling. Oh, this guy really does not only think, but he knows he's the best. And you get a lot of small, unintentional humorous parts. The whole bullshit thing with uh, Vel Kilmer is apparently ad lib that was real, but I don't know. I thought that actually worked pretty well for the scene they were trying to accomplish. Favorite scene, dad? <laughs> I gave you that. <laughs> the credits. That's your favorite and best? <laughs> yes. I see. Ma, favorite?
1: <laughs> My favorite is the the Tom Skerritt line, I'll fly with you. That whole where he's giving him the courage to continue and the challenge to be the best he can be. So, Most indelible moment? I think that's the same for me. It's kind of a turning point for him after he's lost what he considered his family and best friend. And Tom Skerritt comes through as Viper and just says, you know, I am behind you 100 percent and I would even risk my own life to fly with you.
0: Honestly, I don't
1: know how it's not goose dying. It this is movie dying. is
0: 35 plus years old at this point, And it's the number one thing that everybody talks about as the plot point from this movie. All right. It's still one of the most shocking on-screen deaths that most people can count. Well, and not only that. Up until that point, Tom or uh, Tom Cruise's
2: character thinks of himself as being invincible. That's one of the reasons why he's so brash. He's invincible. Nothing happens to him. Well, now somebody really close to him dies and he realizes that he's made his life's commitment to a, to a profession that carries significant risk and that he's not invincible. And that's really what shakes his confidence because now when he gets in a plane, he knows he could die. Goose's death
0: changed that. All right. Let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. All right, dad, before we get any further, do we have anyone to remember this week? Yes. Fortunately, only
2: one. Uh, Fred Ward, uh, American actor, longtime American actor. I first uh, noted Fred Ward when he was in a movie. It's one of my favorites, The Right Stuff, from uh, I believe it was like uh, summer of '84. He's done a ton of different stuff. I forgot to check this when I was looking, but I believe he was Joe Dirt's dad <laughs> in the movie, Joe Dirt. It's Joe Dierte. Uh, excuse me, Joe Dearte, yeah, sure. Anyway, but he was in True Detective, Sweet Home, Alabama. He had a significant part in Naked Gun 33 and a third, longtime character actor, passed this week at age 79.
0: And we remember him fondly. I know that he was in actually quite a few things that I, I guess I never realized what his name was or really thought about him that much, but he had just been so many small parts throughout the years, but we remember him here fondly with a moment of silence in his honor. Thank you. Best funniest lines. I'll start it off. I feel the need, the need for speed.
1: You're the only family I have. I won't let you down.
2: That was some of the best fly I've ever seen to
0: date. Right up to the point where you got killed. Carol and Goose. Hey, Goose, you big stud. That's me, honey. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Show me the way home, honey.
1: I love that. Yeah, that's one of my too. I have it takes a lot more than just fancy flying.
0: You're not going to be happy unless you're going Mach 2 with your hair on fire. <laughs> I have one last one. Sorry, Goose, but it's time to buzz the tower.
1: Oh, no, I have another one that I don't think was even listed on anything that anything that I was reading about the movie. And that is when Charlie comes to see uh, Maverick as he's left and he she finds him at the bar and she says, I'll have what he's having. Hemlock, is it?
0: Yes. Always good to have the Socrates jokes in a major American film. That's all I had. All right. Any more from you, Ma?
1: I had one that that Tom Cruise is talking to Charlie and he, and they're discussing her relationship with him or what she perceived as problems. And he says to her, I'm glad we've got that straight just before he kisses her.
0: Oh, those few leading moments, the pregnant pause makes every woman swoon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the Stanley rubric. Then legacy is up first. Dad, we are not letting you go first on half of these.
1: Actually, you need to let him go first on this. I know this.
0: All right, fine. You I will need let...
1: to let Dad go first on this one.
0: All right, fine. I will let him go first. All right. Public. Five. It was the
2: highest box office uh, of the film or box office film for that year. It had a, a legacy that's lasted for decades. I mean, people still talk about this movie today. There's a reason why it was able to have a sequel, you know, 36 years later.
1: Did you say you only rated that a five this morning at Just the breakfast a second. table?
0: You're, you're interrupting me.
1: Okay. We divide
0: the category, industry and audience.
1: Oh, well, that's not on the board. All
0: right. And then the industry, I want with a 4.5. This
2: spawned uh, at least one. I believe there was a second. Parody, uh, Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen. And uh, and Carrie Ewell, this had legs way beyond the music itself. Continues. So from the industry standpoint, I went with a four point five for a nine point
0: five total. Well, I thought Dad was going to be the low mark on this one. Apparently, it's going to be me, Ma.
1: I had a nine and um, I'm sorry, but on the form that I have here, I don't have anything split out. So mine is just a straight nine across the board. And for a lot of the same reasons as what dad was talking about is the fact that so much of my generation can relate to this film. Everybody knows this film. The music has continued. The story has continued. The fact that they even wanted to make a sequel, people of my generation are all excited about going. And everybody I've talked to who's in my age group is like, yeah, we really want to see the sequel to this film because our formative adult years can relate with this particular film. And I just think it's going to take off. I think it's going to do really well. And so I think that the whole legacy of this film deserves a nine.
0: Fair enough. So now for the counter narrative. I'm surprised I'm going to be the low mark on this one, and I'm going to be quite the low mark by comparison. But yes, this was one of the top 10 grossing movies of the 80s, but I think it was number 10. It has enough nostalgia attached that it's getting a sequel 30-plus years later. It's not a movie, though, that critics ever really came around on, which they have on at least a few other major audience films to at least acquiesce and say, okay, this wasn't that bad. But I do think industry people recognize it's a nostalgia pull and that Tom Cruise is still an action star. But there's a reason why it's delayed so long between having a primary movie and a sequel. And it's not just the fact that sequels weren't as popularly done at that point in time. I mean, some of the biggest movies of that decade were sequelized very quickly. Ghostbusters, yeah, it took like 10 years, but Back to the Future... You want to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. A lot of those movies got sequels very, very quickly. I think this was a big and important movie, but it's not nearly on the level of some of those others. So I went with a two and a half for industry, and I actually only went with a four for audience. Because again, judging it by its colleagues or compatriots, it's not on the level of some of the 80s nostalgia of a back to the future. If for Let's say, for example that Michael J. Fox somehow miraculously gets cured from Parkinson's and is able to do a sequel now. I think that would be a bigger movie than Top Gun 2, just personally. The Ghostbusters sequel had enough clamoring of 80s nostalgia, and it was kind of a nice homage to Harold Ramis after he passed away that I think that was a big movie. I don't think it'll be as big as Top Gun, but even so, there's still bigger movies that I think people have a bigger affini- affiliation for than just this one. So I ended up with a four for audience, 6.5 overall. So that's an 8.33 average between us. Okay.
1: You got the math on that, huh?
0: Really? You're going to do a two?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck me. All
0: right. Impact Significance. It was nominated for a few below-the-line Oscars, winning one of those, but the critics have never really cared for this a ton, especially at the time. This has always been an audience movie, and they are really what made this big, as it was both in theaters and on home video. There really probably aren't many bigger movies of the 80s, if any, but again, it's not Raiders, it's not E.T., it's not Ghostbusters, it's not Back to the Future, it's on that next rung for me. So I'll go three for industry and a 4.5 for audience, for a 7.5 overall.
1: I had an eight. Again, I don't have anything broke out. But um, like I said, everybody who saw this movie fell in love with this movie, whether it was guys or gals. And it really started a movement in my generation with people going and finding their parents military jackets or if their parents were in the air force or the navy flying they all wore those jackets and aviator glasses oh my god all of a sudden those were hugely popular everybody had a pair even myself had a pair of aviator sunglasses because they were just cool and that has remained through today if you go into sunglass shopping anywhere Everybody, including today's teenagers, have a pair of aviator sunglasses because they think they're cool. And this movie started that all.
0: It's our current president's signature look.
1: Yes, it is. And again, it became popular after this film. So I think the significance is more in pop culture, perhaps, or in the the lasting of some of the fashions and some of the styles and the music that came out of this whole film.
2: One other point I was going to make, which is basically this film is what created the term wingman for dating. And moreover, but I would say for the industry, I'm going to just, or the public, I'm going to give it a, a five because it was the highest grossing film of 1986. This is a film where everybody started coming up with cool nicknames with e- for each other. Whether you called somebody Maverick or Goose or whatever the thing was, the breath of the film went way beyond the film itself within that short sphere of about th- 2 to 3 years where everybody still quoted the film and wanted to pretend they were part of the film now from an industry i'm going to give you the quote from Roger Ebert this summarizes where the industry was at the time and how i feel about the movies movies like top gun are so hard to review because the good parts are so good And the bad parts are so relentless. (laughs) So that was his. So I went with a 2.5 for the industry for that reason. So a
1: 7.5.
0: All right. This I actually have to do some math on.
1: Oh, no. You're calculating in your head? No. (laughs) He has to use a calculator for the math, Dana. (laughs) I know he does.
0: (laughs) I can't do it all spur of the moment.
1: (laughs) He has all of his
2: fingers, so counting and di- or and percentages is difficult.
1: Should we talk about his toes? He could count the lint in between them, right? <laughs> that
0: was uncalled for.
1: No, it wasn't. You could invite me on the show once in a while. I can be a little, you know, give back a little to what you give me.
0: <laughs> so that's a seven point six seven. Average between us, novelty. Ma, go first so I can make fun of you.
1: Oh, okay. I have a 5.5. There are a lot of other military films, war-type movies that came out of this. You mentioned Platoon before. I don't think the war-type movie was necessarily new. I don't think that there is a lot of, outside of perhaps the cockpit scenes, you know, where they're talking back and forth that really wasn't portrayed in a lot of other films, As far as novelty, I I gave it a 5.5.
2: Up until this time, there was not the level of camera work and visual for uh, aerial flight, especially jets and the high-speed aspect of it. So to that extent, it was extremely novel. And I remember back at that time watching Jerry Bruckheimer uh, talking about the film on 60 Minutes. The producer, and he was commenting that he had seen a documentary where they had put cameras in F uh, 15s and 16s and was so marveled he thought, Oh, I need to make a movie like this. So that part is really novel. Now, I admit that this is a military film, there were a lot of those, and quite frankly, the script was basically a stock love story guy has or guy uh, meets girl, guy has problems. Guy ends up getting girl at the end. I just kind of, okay. So I pointed down for there and came up with a seven for that reason.
0: All right. Again, surprised that I'm on the far extreme of one of these, but this time I'm on the high side. We've been doing fighter pilot movies since at least 1928 when Wings won for Best Picture for its production scale depicting aerial dogfights from World War I. However, anytime a new one of these comes out, it seems to raise the bar on what is possible to film from air combat, and there have at least been a handful of these through time. I'll go with an 8 here for how inventive Tony Scott seemed to be with the camera and creating the blockbuster appeal of this movie. Because, yes, there are military movies, but Platoon isn't anything like this movie. So that's an, a 6.83 average between us. Classicness. Dad, it is your primary category. You can have the floor. Well, I didn't see anything terrible about it. I mean, they did have a female
2: lead, but even then, they took a female lead who's supposed to be a, a PhD on, I believe it was aerodynamics.
0: Astrophysics.
2: Astrophysics, okay. And turned her into a love interest and her value to the film is primarily as a love interest. It just took a key person and somebody who could have been something so much more positive into something that was just basically. I mean, instead of the flight instructor or the astrophysicist, it, it could have been the waitress in the
1: bar, and it would have been the same story. I don't think so. I think I think it portrayed finally a woman who had some intelligence who actually had a huge role in the military I think it made it possible for girls to think in that line and that vein and then turn around and go
2: oh I'm I, I you, you've got me or what was the line where she is
0: I didn't want anyone to see that I'd fallen for you yes I mean oh my god uh it's just okay terrible. And she can't
1: be human I'm sorry but that still happens she's human
0: well, I know it happened to you, but anyway. But Tom Cruise doesn't reduce every woman to a quivering puddle. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I don't think that that's true anymore because I think there's enough people that don't like him for his proclivities. But yeah, I know. Anyway,
2: the point being is going back to my lines here, I, I think that that portion really detracted from the overall classicness. So I went with an eight. Wow.
0: That's pretty high.
1: I was going to say, I have a seven. I think that it is classic. I think that this is, it's a romance story. It's a part of it, maybe a third of the movie. I think the other part is military, which people enjoy the, the hype and the adrenaline from. And that's pretty classic too. I gave it a seven.
0: Well, once again, I'm on the low side of both of you two. If you're a fan of this movie, you probably think this aged pretty well. But the weird chemistry between McGillis and Cruz has to be mentioned here. Also, despite her status as a top civilian consultant, Charlie is reduced to a puddle in this movie by Cruz just being an arrogant, cocky son of a bitch and then backing it up. The sex scene has to be one of the worst of the 80s. I mean, for God's sakes, he's just licking her teeth through half the scene. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that at that point they were still a little careful about what was being shown. Okay, you know? but I mean, not really. I don't know where to. I mean, yes, yeah, some in some for public consumption, yes.
0: Well, when were some of the like really erotic thrillers of the 80s? There had been a couple that had come out before this. View, yeah, View to a Kill. No, that's a Bond movie. Or, excuse me. Um, oh, What was the one that was. Uh... Oh, crud. I'm trying to... It was Melanie Griffith. Yeah, and I thought it was a Lawrence Kasdan movie.
2: The uh, late 70s, Art Garfunkel and uh, Susan Day, Carnal uh, Colonel Knowledge, Ann Murray was in that. And, I mean, the eroticism of that was like... And that was a
0: mainstream film. I don't know where Tom Cruise learned to fuck in 1986, but no sex I've ever had <laughs> looked that strained or awkward. <laughs>
1: How do you know? Did you have a camera running?
0: <laughs> do you want me to answer that you question?
2: Wanna, wanna... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what What did you actually uh, like have conduct
0: a post interview? <laughs> well, how did you think that Tom did on his performance today? <laughs> well, I thought the performance was real good. Well, who
1: knows? I mean, I don't know. Nothing I read said anything, but, but maybe Kelly McGillis didn't want anything shown you know they it's had not a some matter of say. showing
0: they, they it just looked awkward it's like <laughs> a guy learning for the first time how to be with a woman yeah well also the volleyball scene also doesn't make much sense in retrospect either other than to put it on a meat market show which was definitely the point since Tony and Scott admitted it as much in interviews after the fact so i overall think there are more reasons to go down then up on this in classicness. So I actually went with a five. Ooh. Anyway, uh, that puts us as a 6.67 average between us. Rewatchability. Mom, we brought you on here to pick up everybody's spirits. You can have the floor.
1: All right. I have an eight for rewatchability. And I think, like I said, I think it's because maybe it's part of my generation, the 80s shaped, Uh, my life as an adult. And I think a lot of the things that came out of this movie, like I said, the military jacket craze, the aviator glasses, what dad said about the wingman, I'd forgotten about that. But yes, that came out of that. And people used all of those terms. And there were a lot of colloquialisms that were started during this. But also, I think just it's a feel good movie. And other than the fact that Goose dies, but you still see the hero in the end. And I think that's what people love about it. So I I have an eight.
2: Well, to me, a one is turn that shit off. I don't ever want to watch or see that again. Two is I really don't like this movie. I'll sit through it, but you're going to hear me complain the entire time. Three is three
0: is (laughs) you are such an exaggerator.
1: I am not.
0: I'm sorry. I can really believe that that happened. (laughs) Three is I'll leave it on even though I really, but I don't want to expend the energy
2: because I don't want to expend the energy to get up and turn it off uh, or find the remote. And four is I'll sit here, but I'm not going to like it. So I'm going to go 4.5 with this because at least the camera work was entertaining. And if it's on, at least for the flight scenes, I can sit through those without having too much difficulty. But my comments were stupid things like the the comment where, you know, I'm so into you and all that. I mean, that was just it's just poor writing and I smirked every time Kelly McGillis
0: was on because she's terrible. She really is. The chemistry they have on screen is just non existent. I still can't figure out if she actually likes him at all.
2: I mean, if they were going to make her into a love interest, make her into a barracuda who just basically every flight guy who comes in, she just uses them and throws them aside like Susan Sarandon in uh, Bull Durham. At least that
0: would have been more entertaining. So for my degrees or steps in this, since I apparently have to provide what each number means, five is pretty much neutral for me where I don't care if it's on I'm not actively not going or going out of my way not to watch it. And this is pretty close to that. But I actually thought this was better than the last time I viewed it with dad. I think if he just paints it through dark colored glasses, you see the film very differently. So I went with a 5.5. I'm not actively trying not to watch this. But I'm also not going to actively seek this out at any point in time. It's not a guilty pleasure movie. It's not something I grew up with. It's not a easily rewatchable film for me. It's just, okay, if this is on, sure, fine, whatever. If somebody's watching it, I'll sit and watch a few minutes because the beats are okay. And there are at least a few good parts that I can get through and it's it's good enough. And I do actually like Tom Cruise as a movie star, It's why I love the Mission Impossible movies, but this is not something that's necessarily going to be high on my favorites list ever. So that's a six average between us. For audience score, we had an 88% for Google users and 83% for Rotten Tomato users for an 8.55 average between them. So we had an 8.33 average for Legacy, a 6.67 for Impact Significance, and a 6.83 for Novelty. A 6.67 for classicness, a 6 for rewatchability, and an 8.55 for audience score, giving us a final total of 44.05. And that would currently place it on the list. Between Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and The Magnificent Seven, the original Magnificent Seven, not the remake. Remaining questions. Is Maverick cool or creepy when he follows Charlie into the ladies' room?
1: She gave him a signal. That was a signal she gave him to follow she her. Did? So I think he's cool. What? She expected him there. Oh, no. She did. She was not shocked when he showed up because she gave him a signal. She knew that there was a bet between the two guys because when she walked out, she even said, you know, said as much to Anthony Edwards. So I don't, I think it was expected. So I don't think it's cool or creepy. It was just what. If there was a signal
2: there, it's no wonder I struggled with women because I certainly didn't know them.
0: (laughs) It would be news to me and just about every other male in the universe.
1: She absolutely was not shocked to see him have walked in and asked him what took him so long, basically. So come on, guys. You guys. (laughs) Okay. Apparently
0: we know what dad's going to be doing in the public restroom later. Does Charlie actually like Maverick at all? I don't know. I couldn't tell.
2: I mean, her performance was so. I mean, she could have probably done better if she would have just did her lines in a mon- or in a monotone. I I didn't see it, but okay.
0: Mom's speechless. <laughs> that happens so frequently. Okay. <laughs> oh. Does Maverick end up taking two showers in the first scene at
1: Charlie's? No, he only, he, she wouldn't let him take the shower. So he, he left to take the shower and left her wanting. I don't know. I'm
0: the way it's staged and the way they edited it, that it makes it seem like he took two showers.
1: No, she, she asked her if he, she could, he, he could shower and she said, no, she was hungry. So so she didn't allow him to take one. He still needed to take one. And so he left her wanting.
0: After- I don't know. He looked like he was leaving the room to go take that shower regardless. No, because you can hear them you
2: can hear the uh you can hear the motorcycle leaving at the end.
1: At the end. And yeah. she's
2: kind of like perturbed because she was expecting she, at that point in time for him to take the shower, and she was probably thinking, Well, maybe he'll invite yeah, me along." In. Yeah. That's right.
1: But, yeah, no, he, he never took two showers. He hadn't even taken one. He left it never, shower. It, ne-
2: it never hurts to play a little hard to get when you know a woman is interested.
1: <laughs> and then she followed him there, remember? She's got the scene where she's got the jacket on and the hat, and so she followed him to the shower.
0: No, that was a completely different time.
1: I don't think so. It was the, it was the scene directly after that. She knew where he was going, she followed him there.
0: Boy, I think you're extrapolating quite a bit on that. But you do agree it is a good idea to play a little hard to get
1: to a woman, right? I'm not going to make any comments.
0: Okay, is that one of the worst sex scenes of the 80s? (laughs) I mean, it has to be up there with that weird rape scene from the Revenge of the Nerds.
1: I don't know. I guess I never rated the sex scenes in the '80s. I never watched too many movies. This is one I happened to see.
0: Well, I would have. I, you know,
2: you're kind of putting me on the spot because now I'm trying to go through my mind, trying to think of
0: weird sex scenes. The one where Sigourney Weaver is floating off the bed, and Bill Murray oh, that can't is believe bad.
1: it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that scene of that movie. The Yeah, that Ghostbusters. Yes,
0: I am the
2: gatekeeper.
1: Yeah, I I never liked that movie simply because of that scene.
2: I am the key master. (laughs) When you were a kid, I I used to tell you, women are the gatekeepers. (laughs) And you never quite understood it, I think, for a while at least.
0: Sure, Dad. Let's go with that. Okay. (laughs) Okay, for what purpose does Charlie come back at the end? I argue that it actually would have been better if had she just left and the movie ends with him deciding he's going to be an instructor. Yeah.
2: Trust me, as little of her
0: in the film as possible would have made it a better film. I think there's a reason why she and Meg Ryan were not asked to come back for the sequel. Well,
2: that, and as she points out, she weighs about 250 now. And uh, really did not age well. We don't like to do that on this show, but okay. She's the one who commented about it, because I saw an interview
0: she did. I see. Any other remaining questions for either of you? No. No, other than, did we really have to make a
2: sequel?
1: Yes, and you're not going with me.
2: That's fine.
0: (laughs) I'll just find out when you're going, and I'll sit behind you and make comments. doesn't even have to be that. You just mention it to Alex, and he'll go. Any 80s nostalgia, and he's there.
1: I know. Maybe I'll have to go see it with Alex before you arrive next week.
0: Uh, Actually, I'm not sure when it comes out. It doesn't come out
1: until May 27th. I just saw it earlier. Anyway. All right.
0: That'll do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Next week, we will be revisiting one of the great Alfred Hitchcock classics, North by Northwest, from 1959, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Ernest Lehman, starring Cary Grant, Ava Marie Saint, James Mason, and Martin Landau. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com to sign up for our newsletter or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.